Well, I want to add a welcome to any of you who are our guests this morning, don't normally worship with the Appwood family. Glad that you are here. We are, uh, we're excited about this day. Look around and you see signs of life and uh, party-like. In fact, we are, we are here. We are here to party this morning. And uh, <clears throat> there are folks like us all around the world who are partying. And we've been anticipating this. Because you see, a number of us were here on Friday night. And we remembered together uh, the death of Jesus. With uh, scripture readings and with song, we walked through that night with him and uh, experienced once again the betrayal and the beating and the crucifixion where he was left to die on the cross. And I'll tell you what, it was a dark night. It was not joy-filled. We left in silence. And uh, even being people who live on, si- on, on this side of that experience, there is just a sense of, ah, as you leave. That was Friday. This is Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, and, and our small celebration here is part of a worldwide celebration. There are people everywhere today who are celebrating the fact that Jesus came out of that grave and brought life to humanity. So all around the world, they are exchanging those words that we have done a couple of times this morning. That was just practice. They will say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's pretty good. Let's try that again. Christ is risen. And just in case you missed it, Christ is risen. Oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. I'm reminded of the little boy who was riding in the car with his father. They happened to pass a cemetery, and he observed this enormous mound of freshly excavated dirt. And in excitement, he said, Dad, look, one got out. That is Resurrection Sunday in a nutshell. We are here to celebrate the one that got out. You might recognize the name of Rollo May. He was a 20th century psychologist. He did a lot of study in the area of what is intrinsically beautiful. And uh, he was influenced fairly uh, significantly with his friendship uh, to Paul Tillich, theologian. And in his book titled The Quest for Beauty, he writes about a visit to a monastery in Greece on resurrection early in the morning, Resurrection Sunday. He describes the smell of incense hanging in the air. He said the only light was coming from candles. It was dim. The sense of anticipation in the worshipers. And he said at the height of the service, the priest declared, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. And every person there, he said, including himself, responded in chorus, He is risen indeed. And then he writes this. Suddenly, I was seized by a moment of spiritual reality. What does it mean for our world that he has truly risen? What does it mean all around the world today? 
There are folks who believe that Jesus came out of that grave. He conquered death and he is alive forever, offering life to those who will accept that gift. Now, you want to know what a strange irony exists with that truth? People have been celebrating this for centuries on Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It is the foundational truth to the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every person who is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, countless millions of people in our world today and through the the, the past centuries, not a single person has seen the resurrected Jesus. Not a single one. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and not a single one. And, 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 and let's, let's be honest here. This is not just an everyday something that we believe in that we don't see, like the wind or gravity or the, the dark recesses of space. This is, this is coming back from death. We are, we are celebrating one who died and came to life again, and yet not any of us have seen it. Many of these folks who believe this are intelligent, they're bright, they're thinking, they're articulate. You can't assign this belief, I don't think, to the category of just simple and and uninformed. So what drives this belief? What drives this celebration for centuries? I, I have a theory. And I know that that comes as a surprise to many of you. It's a pretty simple one, really. And and it originated with one of my closest friends for many, many years who who grew up in the northern woods of of Maine and the wisdom that comes from a rather challenging experience there. The theory is this. Life is hard, and then you die. That's it. Can you relate to that? Life is hard, and then you die. You've probably noticed that life is difficult. It is full of pain. It is full of challenges. And so far, in my experience, the human mortality rate is 100%. So far. There is. However, a town in Spain, I just read this this week, that has prohibited death. It's true. The village of Longaron, with 4,000 inhabitants is to remain under this law until the government buys land for a new cemetery. <laughs> the mayor issued the law, and he, explain, he, he explains that it was, it was a fix, uh, a quick fix, to what he sees as a long-lasting problem. Human death does tend to be kind of a long-lasting problem. And, and yet the law has become just very, very popular amongst the residents, and, and even amongst those who opposed the mayor who, uh, who made the law. Well, of course it's become popular. You know, who wants to die? I wonder how that law is working out for them. So uh, Dr. Jerome Grootman, you may know that name, professor for many years, medicine at Harvard Medical Center, chief of experimental medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, one of the world's leading researchers in cancer and AIDS, wrote a book entitled The Anatomy of Hope in which he records his experiences of over 30 years dealing with people who have life-threatening illnesses. He found a common theme. 
He says they were all, and I quote, looking for a sense of genuine hope. So he was asked to define hope, and he says, basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to a future. You are facing dire circumstances, and then you see a path, and a tremendous emotional lift occurs. He says, we could not live without hope. There is a profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one in the present. I couldn't agree more. I think hope is woven into the fabric of being human. And, and yet it's a, it's a word that, depending on the circumstances, has, has different meanings. We can speak of a friend who is hopelessly in love. That's not a bad thing. We anticipate the upcoming Bronco season and we are hope-filled. But when the doctor says there is no hope, it takes on all new meaning. Or we have a friend who is struggling with, with a serious depression and they have feelings of no hope. Suddenly, the stakes are much higher. I think in the heart of, of every thoughtful human being, there is a profound longing for hope that is found often in the, the midst of fears and uncertainties that, that, that drive us. Those, those same fears and uncertainties that, that sometimes can can disguise or, or, or cause hope to vanish from our lives. You think of all the things in life that, that, that people put their hope in. We put hope in the economy. Good luck with that. You know, we, we put hope in politics. Not much better than the first one. You know, we put hope in people, in significant relationships, only to be disappointed, to have our hearts broken. We hope for the, we, we, we put our hope in, in, in our children for a better future. Maybe not. The folks in Newtown had lots of hopes for the future in their children. And if we're honest, really honest, we must admit that we are not in control of our lives. We want to be. We try to be. We sometimes even live as if we are. And yet I think if push comes to shove and we are really pinned down to be honest, we know that we are not in control. I want to suggest to you that the folks around the world today who are proclaiming that Christ is risen have found an answer to that profound human longing for hope. And they have found it right in the midst of the fears and the uncertainties that are a part of their lives. Hope, my friends, is found in the risen, very much alive, Jesus Christ, who promises to give life to all who believe in him. That's what we celebrate this morning. I want us to read from Matthew's gospel this morning. All four of the gospels record the resurrection, as you would expect. Um, 
Matthew has a little bit different slant on it from the others. And we're actually going to start in Matthew 27, which just picks up a couple of verses from Jesus' burial. But we're not celebrating that this morning. I promise we won't stay there long. But it sets the stage then for the first, oh, about 10 verses of chapter 28, his account of the resurrection. And I would like for you to look for two ladies in this story. You, you can't miss them. They're there. Let's stand and read together, shall we? We'll start with just a couple of verses here from, from the, uh, the burial. Joseph of Arimathea, as many of you probably know, took the body of Jesus, got permission to take it from the cross, and to, uh, to bury Jesus in his own tomb. So this is where we begin. Together, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Okay, now we jump ahead. It is resurrection morn. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet, filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, glassed his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Ah. Oh. My brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Be seated. Some of you chuckled at that line where the angel rolls the the, the stone back and sits on it. (laughs) Don't you just always have that feeling of na 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 na, which has nothing at all to do with the sermon, but I'm just always struck with that. I love that. Well, who are the ladies? Mary and Mary. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Two interesting people that, truthfully, we we really know very little about. Some in church tradition have thought that that Mary Magdalene was was formerly a prostitute before she became a follower of Jesus. Uh, Some link her with the woman who who came and, and wept over his feet, washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Really not... Biblical evidence for that. She, she may have had some demons cast out of her uh, by Jesus, but, but again, not, not necessarily a clear connection. The other Mary may have been the mother of, of two of, 
of the uh, disciples, the male disciples of Jesus. We just don't know a whole lot more than that. But here's what we do know. They were women. And they were followers of Jesus. So, I want you to just turn to someone real quickly and ask them, why were these women at the tomb twice? Why were they there? See what your neighbor thinks. Okay. So what, uh, what does your neighbor think? They were sitting there when Joseph rolled the stone across the opening. They were there again on Resurrection Sunday morning. <laughs> That's a great question. Did they ever leave? <laughs> okay. Okay, totally in fear. Okay. What else? What else did you hear? Doug? Okay. Okay. Okay, good, good. What else? Donna. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> what else? Anything else that came in your conversations? How about, oh, Sue, go ahead. You know, that's where my mind went. Remember, we're talking first century. Do you recall the status of women in first century Palestine? Whether single or married, whether Jew or Roman, women really had no status in the first century. Women were often targets of neglect and abuse. How did Jesus treat women? He esteemed them. He loved them. He he honored them. And I was... I was struck with the fact that that in Jesus, these two women and probably countless others found in the presence of Jesus Christ hope for something different. They found in relationship to Jesus a love and an esteem and an appreciation that quite possibly they hadn't experienced. When they were with Jesus, I think it's reasonable to to assume that that fears and uncertainties that, that would chase hope away, those fears and those uncertainties disappeared. And now he's gone. Now he's gone. 
spoke to John about taking care of his mother. Another wonderful example of, of esteem and concern for a female in that culture. Yeah. From their perspective, I think hope disappeared when Jesus died on the cross and went into that tomb. Imagine their despair. Along with the male disciples, they had just given three years of their lives, many of them, to following after Jesus. And in him, they had found a hope that they never had. And perhaps as as women, they felt the loss of that even more keenly than the men did. I, I, just, I just think they had to, given the, the cultural context. I don't know if the, the statement in the first verse of chapter 28 struck you. Matthew writes this. He says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Went to look at the tomb. Some commentators pick up that phrase and they suggest that that phrase represents an ancient Jewish tradition that we find in other literature that says that the Jews would visit the tombs of the deceased up until the third day in order to make sure that they were really dead. Here are the ladies staring at the tomb that represents the loss of hope. And they just can't believe that he's really gone. Really? Does it really end like this? That hope that we had for life is is gone? I think these two ladies can be a picture for us of of great human despair in the face of circumstances that just drain the hope from our lives. You know, John writes in his gospel that the other disciples, that all the disciples actually, during this time that Jesus was in the tomb, they were all hiding together in someone's house with the doors locked. Can't you just picture that? They're huddled together. Maybe a little candle burning, maybe not. Whispering. Fearful that the authorities are going to find them because they just killed the one they've been following. Who's next? What's next? Am I next? How about my family, my children, my friends? Ha. Huh. In the words of Dr. Grootman that we heard earlier, there is no possibility of a better future in their minds. These folks are without hope. And I think that's, that's precisely why the angel says what he does to the two Marys. Do not be afraid. And in that moment, their lives are consumed with fear. Do you, do you think they had a passing thought? Oh, yeah, easy for you to say, pal. Do not be afraid. And then he reminded them of what Jesus had told them. 
He has risen just as he said. When Jesus was with them, he told them that the Son of Man would be delivered over to the high priests and the people. He would be crucified on the third day. He would rise. But in those desperate moments, hope was driven from their lives because the presence of Jesus was gone. I love what comes next. Jesus appeared to them. The angel said, don't be afraid. They were still afraid. And Jesus appears to them and says what? Do not be afraid. Now we're getting somewhere. The one who represents the hope of their lives meets them at their point of need and says, do not be afraid. His presence brings hope. Jesus came to them at the lowest point in their lives. That's what Jesus does. Hope, my friends, is only found enduring hope, quality hope, hope that makes a difference, hope that means something, is only found in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And so he always comes to those who seek him. And when he does, hope appears. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important to God's people around the world today. His presence brings hope. And his life guarantees that that hope never disappears. That's why we celebrate. Now, I'll grant you that that it it can seem a bit strange that, that we put our hope in this Jesus that we cannot see, but but let me just give you a brief explanation of of why we do that. After the resurrection, John in his gospel tells us that one of the disciples named Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive. Moment of crisis for Thomas. Jesus appears to Thomas. And then Thomas believed. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, You have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's an important word that that John uses there. The word blessed, it refers to a sense of of joy. It refers to a sense of contentment and, and hope that is only available through the process of believing. In other words, It is a certainty and a a place of contentment that can only come into our lives after we believe. True hope is found in Jesus and shows up in our lives when we believe in him. It's kind of like the safety instruction on the airplane regarding the oxygen mask. I've seen a lot of those lately. They tell you the oxygen is flowing even though the the, 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 the bag does not inflate. Now, the plane is going down and the oxygen masks pop out and you look over there and say, well, there's no oxygen in that. I'm not putting it on. 
No, you're not going to do that. Give me that thing. I'm putting it on and I'm trying it because they said there's oxygen flowing. It's, it's very similar. The overarching message of the Bible is a humanity. Men and women and children, they were created by God in order to live in a relationship of love and intimacy and total joy, first with God and then with one another. The Bible also teaches us that resident in every human heart is this desire to be God. There is this desire to, to live life the way that we want to live it. And we forsake the purpose for which we were created. And then we find ourselves living in a world that is full of all kinds of pain and hurt and fear and ugliness that God did not intend, but is a result of all of these people trying to be God. You remember my theory? Life is hard and then you die. This is the reason. Life is hard and people die because humanity long ago rejected the presence of God in their lives as creator. We try with all of our might to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction and hope in life apart from God. The Bible calls it sin. It's living life for self and not for God. It's not what we were created for. And the sad truth is that, that some people die in their sin and as a result they're lost, not only to this life, but forever, separated from God, whom they were created to live in relationship with. The Bible also teaches that God is like no one we have ever encountered. He is a God who John says is love and a God that gives. And a God who loves so much that he gives himself. Gives his son as an offering so that those who rejected him can have another opportunity. Enter Jesus. One of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith is that God loves the people he created and that he sent his son to bear the punishment, the consequences of our sin. Took our sins upon himself, died the death on the cross, and then came out of that grave to declare victory over sin that keeps people in bondage. And as a result, you and I have a choice. We can believe it's true, and we can accept it. We can take that oxygen mask, and we can put it on, and we can start breathing, or we can sit there and say, there's nothing there, and die again. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. And it's not unlike the faith or trust that we exercise countless times every day. And yet there's so much more at stake. It is a matter of believing that Jesus died and came to life again so that people could have relationship with God that they were created for. Now, here's the thing. Making a decision to believe in Jesus and to put your trust in him, it won't automatically fix the problems in your life. It's not like a lucky rabbit's foot or finding the genie's bottle with wishes. Sometimes he does change things. Sometimes he does not. But no matter what, he always gives hope because he is always present. 
That was his promise to his disciples. That is his promise to us. I am with you always. He never said, I'll change everything and make your life rosy. But I am with you always. And the presence of Jesus gives hope. And that hope gives promise that we have life in him both now and forever. The the two Marys and, and all the other disciples, they faced a life of hardships before they died. And they did die, all of them. But they lived with hope that came from knowing that God loved them. And that even though life was hard, they had found a hope and a confidence in the presence and love of Jesus Christ that nothing could take away. And the promise of a new and lasting life beyond this one. Praise team, come on up. Lead us in response on this resurrection morning. So friends, that is, I think, bottom line on what the fuss is on Resurrection Sunday. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, then what hope is there? Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers and said, you know, if the dead cannot rise, and if Christ did not rise, he said, we are to be pitied more than all people on the face of the earth because we are believing in something that cannot happen. But he was convinced that it does. Praise be to God. On this Resurrection Sunday, that is why we say again and again, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Do you believe that? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And in him there is hope. Praise the Lord.